0: Hi, this is Katrina Adams, and you're listening to Brothers on Tennis. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? This is your boy Isaac. And this is your boy Bryce. And we are Brothers on Tennis. And guess what, folks? We've got a special guest today. You know how we love talking to coaches because they (laughs) give us such great insight into the players. They can give us all this little tea on what they're (laughs) up to and what it's about. And guess what, folks, we've got another great one here today and so excited to talk to this brother. I mean, uh, Bryce, I mean, we we had a call with him before. It was lively. We got such good information. And I am excited to hear more about this brother's story. Why don't you go ahead and give us some information on Brother Wandale?
1: Well, you know, these are the type of shows that I think we thought about when we first came up with the concept of Brothers on Tennis. Yeah. It's one thing to, you know, bring the top-ranked players on and, you know, talk to them. And, you know, that's kind of what everybody is doing. But we're trying to not only deliver a show to an underserved market, but also to underserved people and resources that are in the game that don't get as much, as we like to say, shine, shine. (laughs) as the others. And I think our guest today, Mr. Wandel Bruner, he has a story that... I I don't think you can't listen to a story and not feel something, right? Unique, yes. And it's a unique insight, and it's probably the type of story you're not going to hear on other podcasts. Right. So um, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and bring this brother on, Mr. Wandel Brunner. Welcome to Brothers on Tennis. How are Ooh, you today? Welcome, brother. I'm, I'm doing fine. Thank you for
2: having me.
0: Oh, So great to have you on, Wandel. How are you doing today, my man?
2: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, it's uh, nice and hot here in Miami and uh you know, we can't <laughs> complain about that.
0: Right? Right, right, We're having a nice hot one here in California too.
1: It's 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 all good, man. And I'm going to throw in, you know, you're talking about Miami for many and I know Isaac knows this. Yeah. For many years, I mean, I've traveled so many places in the country and people would be amazed that I would say one of the places I've never been is Miami. And they would say, all the places you've been and you've never been to Miami? And I got the opportunity to go to Miami for, I think, like three days a couple of years ago. Okay, Stayed right there on, what is it, Ocean Boulevard and South Beach or whatever. South had Beach. such an amazing time. Was supposed to go back the next year, and that's when you guys had that big hurricane. And so my trip got canceled, and so I haven't been back yet, but believe me, I am counting down the days for us to get past this Rona yes. and whatever and to get back to Miami because I really enjoyed myself, and that's, that's a hot place
2: down there. It yeah. is, it is. And interestingly, uh, I didn't tell either one of you that I actually used to live in California for a while. Oh, Did really? You? What part? I lived in Hermosa Beach for a while. And then I moved up to NorCal, and I lived in Walnut Creek, California.
1: Ah, okay, okay. both of those, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I guess it doesn't surprise us that a tennis person has right. lived in California. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: like California, it's Miami. That's right, right yeah, that yeah, Florida, Florida Flanegas, Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Wandell, you know, let, let's go ahead and just give our listeners a, a little bit of background. Uh, tell us about yourself and, and uh, you know, just, just your, your background in this great sport of ours.
2: Well, I'm 47 years old. I have been coaching for over 25 years. Um, I got into tennis accidentally. I happened, yes, I happened to be, I went to visit my grandparents and they had a tennis court at several tennis courts next to their home. And I decided to go and put on some roller skates and roller skate on the court when it specifically said for me not to be rowdy. <laughs> so one thing I learned about Southern folks is that they all know one another because the gentleman happened to come on the court who initially became my first coach, and he asked me to leave. And of course, at seven, almost eight years old, I decided to be a smart mouth. And he said, oh, you're, you're Sister Smith's uh, grandson. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, how do you know this? And I started to cry because, you know, Southern grandmothers, they, they're going to put it on you if they find out you're being smart. <laughs>
0: That's right.
2: <laughs> so in, instead of him uh, telling on me, he asked me to come back at 12, uh, put on some shoes and bring a lunch. And I didn't know what was going to happen. So I did what he asked. Um, I walked on the court. He put, at that time, the old uh, on Borg Doné. Okay. My first racket he put into my hand. And that was the first time I fell in love with the sport.
0: Wow. That's awesome. That is really, really cool. What, what, how old were you then, uh, Wendell?
2: I was almost eight years old. Eight years old. Wow.
1: Wow. Good stuff, man. So from that moment that racket was put in your hand, kind of take us on that journey uh, that you went through as a junior, as a player, to even making it to the professional circuit.
2: Uh, for me, the day I walked off that court with that racket and he said, you can have this racket, this is yours, I kid you not, I slept with the racket. <laughs> wow. And And, um, you know, a, a little black kid in those days, you know, We didn't have much. So for someone to be giving me something like that, I took great pride in having that. And he gave me a couple of balls and I woke up six o'clock in the morning and I hit I banged the wall down. And the one thing he told me, he said, Your best friend is the wall, because it's never late, it never talks back, and it will (laughs) always be there.
0: That's right.
2: So I really took what he said to heart and I went during the summertime and I bang the wall down, bang the wall down, bang the wall down. And I would go because I couldn't afford lessons and I would watch some of the other players, junior players that were playing at that time and I would see how they're handling the grip and how they're you know, hitting their backhands, forehands and I would memorize what they would do and I would go back to the wall and then I would do it again and again and again and again. And ideally, the coaches would see me keep coming and just standing outside the fence and watching. So they said, look, we'll give you half an hour lesson if you help pick up the balls. So you better believe I picked up every single ball and then some. That's right. (laughs) I I picked them up. I helped clean the courts and I would start to get half an hour lessons. And I continued to do that. But the thing that they saw in me that my parents always taught me was look when you do something you do it to the best of your ability Same. so i continued i continued to just go out there and he said to me wandell you don't let a ball get past you no matter if you can hit it correctly or not don't let a ball get past you so mm-hmm. i did no ball got past me but the kids started to see that i was excelling faster than them why because i was putting in more work than them mm-hmm. and um I remember my first junior tournament, I went in, and I had a pair of cutoff jean shorts. Mind you, this is the, uh, this is the uh, late 70s, early 80s. So I had, right, right. I had a pair of cut-off jean shorts. I went in a pair of Chuck Taylors because I didn't even know what tennis shoes at that time, you know, what to have. And I, I believe I just had a, you know, sort of normal T-shirt. And I remember walking to the turn, you know, getting there with my coach and walking into the tournament and seeing all these kids with big bags and, and Prince rackets. And I mean, you name it, they had everything. And then there's me with a brown bag lunch and one racket. And the one thing I will say to you is, you know, I noticed. I said, I'm the only black kid here. Mm -hmm. And my coach, my coach took, he took notice of that. And he said, listen, you know what? Go and do what you do. Don't say anything to them. Play your game. My first tournament, I made it to the semifinals. Wow. Nice. Yeah. And I knocked out, I knocked out some pretty decent players. And, uh, you know, they started to ask questions. Who is this kid? You know, where did he come from? And, you know, I'm not saying I was the best junior but I did well, and I started to excel to where people started seeing me, and then Prince took notice, and that's where I got my first uh, sponsorship from Prince Rackets. Nice, Nice. And you know, back then they had the Prince Graphites, and that's when Andre was playing with the Prince Graphites, and you know, Mm -hmm. everybody was uh, playing during that time, and I, I, I used to wait by the mailbox every day, sitting there until that package came. (laughs) and and for me that was like winning the lottery and uh I continued one thing I will say is this I got harassed a lot really and not by white people Hmm. by our own because back then there was a basketball court and a football field right there so back then you know we had the kids playing basketball and football, there wasn't a black kid playing tennis. Right. And I was the only one. So they used to say, oh, look at Wandale out there, you know, playing tennis, you know, the white man's sport. So I just ignored them. And the more they picked on me, the more I wanted to excel. Because I went to the library and I checked out my first book on Arthur Ashe. And then I read that book from, from front to back, not once, but twice. I went in and I got a book on Althea Gibson, and I started to read that. I, I got one on the late Rodney, who I can't remember his last name right now, who unfortunately passed away, um, who was our first uh, black male to play the game. And Hey guys, I, let, 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 me, let, me, let me
0: stop us here. I'm hearing some um, interference with the microphone. I'm not sure if that is. I think that's um, Wondell. Are you moving the microphone that
2: you're? No, my to? mic. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Is it clear now? It is clear. Yeah, it's it clear, clear now. Clear. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. If the
0: microphone's on the headphones, you know, just try to keep that very, very still um, and not move around or let that you know, brush up against your shirt or anything like that because it's going to come into the mic and we're going to hear okay. it in the
2: future. Okay, I'll, I'll keep it tight like this so it's uh, it's away okay. from my
0: Okay. Very cool, very cool.
2: Um, so I'm trying to
0: think where to pick up because what you were saying was very um, interesting
2: about being
0: harassed.
2: Um, That's where I was at about, about the tennis and I was about to uh, tell a couple of things that happened to me during that time yeah can we just
1: start that segment over exactly yeah, yeah that would be, be good yeah, be a that's good, good. Point. yep that's good okay i'm going back on mute guys
2: okay so like i was saying you know i got harassed a lot by uh by our own our own uh our own race and you know they'd make fun of me you know look at wandell playing the white sport over there you know it's a white man sport and this and that and as i said I went and checked out books on Arthur Ashe, on Althea Gibson, and I wanted to know more about the black tennis players uh, that at that time opened the doors for a kid like myself and you uh, to play. And as I started to excel more, those same kids who made fun of me started to protect me because Mm -hmm. they saw that I was starting to come home with trophies. They Mm -hmm. saw that, you know, the only thing they saw me doing was keeping my head in my my books, and I had my rackets with me. Wherever I went, my rackets were like my American Express card. I'd never (laughs) leave home without
0: them. (laughs) I know that's right.
2: (laughs) So I had them with me, and they started to say, you know what, this young brother wants to make it. Instead of putting me down, they then started to support me. And I just found out, after 25 years, I started getting tournaments paid for me, and there was a local drug dealer, and he offered me face-to-face to to pay for my tournaments, and I told him, I don't want your drug money. Hmm. So what he did was he went to my coach, and he said, listen, here's a certain amount of money. I want you to make sure you take care of Wandell. Here's for his strings, whatever he has to pay for, shoes. He took care of me. Wow. I I just found this out. Wow.
0: That's crazy, man. That's the community. That's it, though. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. man. And, that's and, incredible. And that 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 uh, that touched me because he knew. He said, "Little man, I know you don't want to be around this stuff." I said, "I don't even want to talk to you while you're doing it, you know." And I stayed away from him because my mother said, "Success can easily come, and success can easily go, but that's it's right. your choice. It's your choice to make it." So. You know, I could have easily chose to sell drugs and stuff, but that wasn't my thing. So they made sure that, you know, I stayed uh, focused. Um, I played in high school and then I went on to play collegiately. And one thing I will tell anyone that's listening, you might be good in your area. You might be good in your territory, your providence, but once you hit college, you're on the big stage. And I learned very, I learned very quickly that I wasn't as good as I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Our number one player, uh, is the first cousin of Steffi Graf. Wow. And he played exactly like Steffi and moved exactly like Steffi. And, uh, I, I don't even want to talk about that beat down I got, but uh <laughs> it 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 was an eye opener We'll just say uh-huh. that
0: uh-huh <laughs> sometimes that's what it takes, but it's all good It, it makes right. you you know it makes you reevaluate where you're at and what's what it is that you then need to do and work on. so no that's oh, it, like it, you yeah. know how it is life's lessons are in the losses
2: exactly exactly and instead of it you know hurting me of course it humbled me because i said Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> when you watch a few forehands blaze past you and there's nothing you can do you say okay you know i'm on a whole different stage so i had to really work harder and i did i put in the work and uh you know, I went on, I played four years of collegiate tennis. I tried to play on the satellite tour, which uh, for most people, uh, those of us that are in our mid-40s and higher, we know what the satellite tour is. Mm-hmm. That's now the, the ITF of today.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And
2: right. Uh, I tried to play on the, you know, a few satellite tournaments, and I realized that, you know what, it takes a lot of money, it takes a, a big team, and that's something I unfortunately don't have. But I have my brain, I have my mind. So I started coaching. I started coaching and I worked toward getting my, you know, my graduate degree. And uh, that's where I met my wife during my studies. And my wife is from Finland.
0: Ah,
2: okay. So when I met her, I decided to move. First, we actually moved to California and I worked with some of the NorCal players. Uh, I trained there. Then we decided to move to Helsinki, to Finland, to her country. And uh, that's where it really started for me. I started really taking notes. I started learning, taking courses on how the Europeans taught. And I really noticed a big difference from Europe and the US. And this is just my own personal opinion the US is more basket feeding the Mm. europeans are more drills of hitting 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 and you're working you do your footwork drills you do everything like that but you're hitting because they want the live ball drills to be able to keep you in that that situation so you don't have to keep stopping whereas you're doing drills here you have to stop and talk stop and talk stop and talk no there. They hit more balls. They hit a lot more balls, and uh, I will say, they are a lot tougher mm. than what I see. What I've uh, recognized when I came back to the states.
1: And so, Wandel, before and this is great. And before we get too far into your your experience over there in Europe, I want to step back a moment and just kind of have you articulate how. I don't know. How emotional was that decision for you when you had to make that call that you weren't going to continue your playing career and you were going to transition into something else? Because I know you having been a player since you were eight years old, you know, you had this whole dream in front of you to be the best possible player that you could be there. You know, when you had that decision point to make in your life, you know, how did you manage that? How difficult was that?
2: That was very difficult. That's a, that's a great question. I was, I was devastated. I was mm-hmm. devastated because, you know, today as a coach, I tell every kid to follow your dreams. And, and we all have a dream. You know, some people want to be policemen. Some people want to be firemen. Some people want to be, you know, the president. I want to be a professional tennis player. Mm-hmm. But my mother said to me, you know what? you have to sometimes accept the reality of the situation, but don't close the door. So she said, if you can't play, why not work towards coaching? Mm. And when she said that, I said, wow, you know what? I never thought about that, but that's a great idea. Because she said, you know what? You'll never, you may not be able to play on the tour, but you can still be around the tour. That's right. And that's honestly, with her words and her encouragement, that helped me a lot.
0: Yeah, that's that mama. That's a mama wisdom, right? <laughs> that's that mother's wisdom, man. That's that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I, great question there, Bryce. And, and Wanda, please, continue, please, with because uh, you're in Finland now. You've got you're there with your wife definitely want to hear more about you know the differences between u.s tennis versus tennis overseas in europe because i like those points you were making because we do talk a lot in the u.s
2: <laughs> there's one thing that i really noticed there also they don't take a lot of back talk
0: mm. hey there you go right
2: and and that's where i felt and i looked at it and i said wow I was sitting with my wife because you know i i'm I'm bringing my resume and I'm looking at different clubs because you know I moved over there, so I need a job. And I'm going in, I'm going to different clubs, and I'm just sitting there. Now, I will say to mo- to many people who do not know about Helsinki or Finland in general, the we do not have a large population of black people there. So I was uh, very quickly recognized <laughs> at all the clubs, <laughs> <point. laughs> right? <laughs> you know. who is this brother looking at us you know why is he walking in and he's in tennis gear right (laughs) what's going on so I went and my wife said the way my country is you can talk all you want but you need to play and show them so I stepped out and I hit with some guys and they said okay this guy can play so here was the, one, the first bump in the road I, uh, I encountered. And I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I went to one of the clubs, and I won't, name, I won't put their name out there, but I went to the club and I gave my resume. And they looked at me and I quote, they said, we have to go to the, the president and see if it's okay to hire a black man. Wow, really? Yeah. And yeah. I said, okay. I said, listen, you know what? Don't even waste your time and effort going upstairs. I said, if you have to ask for right. a black man to be mm-hmm. hired, mm-hmm. I, already, I don't want to be here.
0: I, exactly. Right. right.
2: Yep. So I stepped out of the club and they, hey, hey, hey. I said, no, it's, it's quite all right. So I went to the next club. Now, the next club, the, the, the head coach there, the pro, he played in the U.S. So we started talking, and immediately I got the job without even giving him my resume.
1: Nice.
2: Okay. He had already heard that I could play. And he, he you know, he, he talked for a while at Bulletary, and he did some things. So he said, listen, I already know what you can do. I've already heard you can play. I'm going to give you some hours. And we'll start from there. Now, one thing I will say also, they gave me the bottom of the barrel players. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Oh, yeah. of course. Yes. Because they, they wanted to see how I would be able to handle these problematic kids. Little did they know, I came out of the hood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can deal with that and then some. Uh but you know instead of dealing with that what i did was i taught them to believe in themselves i used my life stories to encourage them and i took one girl from 100 in finland to top five in finland in 16s i took another boy from 40 something in finland to top 10 and i took another girl to top three now when that started happening of course, they want to step in and they want to start saying, oh, well, you know what? The Federation wants to take these players. Fine. Give me other ones. Right. I'll keep doing the same thing. And that's what I continue to do. Now, my first tour debut was there was a player by the name of Yuho Falco. And they had told me that this guy's father, you know, he's very difficult. Uh, no one wants to coach him. Uh. Mind you, this kid went three sets with Monfils at the Orange Bowl when Monfils was number one in the world.
0: Wow. Okay. So I,
2: I said, you know what? Let me, let me be persistent. Let me talk to this young man. Let me talk to him more and more and more. He doesn't know me, but he said, finally, you know what? I'll give you a chance. I said, cool. Let's work. At that time, he was around eight, nine 900, 900 in the world. We went from 900 in the world with very limited budget to top 300.
0: That's a big jump one. Yeah, dude. it is.
2: huge. With, we won over, I believe, 18 ITF and a couple of runner-up uh, challenger titles. Um, we had four top 100 wins. And with that being said, he opened more doors for me. Mm -hmm. So then I took another young lady and I got her uh, from zero to around 600. Mm. And unfortunately she started having some heart problems and we had to stop. But with me doing that, I opened a lot of doors and they started to see that, you know what, this guy's not all talk. He's putting the hard work in. He's uh, he's showing us things that are different and these players are stepping up and they're improving.
0: Right. And Wondell, quick question. So the young man that you took from the, from uh, to the 300s, you mentioned that they were kind of avoiding him. He was being, you know, they were saying he was difficult. What did you do that others couldn't do?
2: I, I, thank you for that question. What I did with him was I listened.
0: Mm. There you go. I,
2: I didn't walk in with the mentality of I'm the coach, you're the player. What I tell you, you listen. I went in with the mentality of you're the player, I am coaching you, but we need to be on the same playing field so we can make things better. And Finland's a very uh, shy country. You know, they're not a very talkative country. So what I did was I showed him how to be outside the box, so to speak. I taught him how to enjoy things. I said, listen, you're a professional tennis player. You know how many kids in the world would trade anything to be like you? Mm -hmm. Embrace this. Run with it. Let's have fun. Let's make memories. Let's make history. And that's that's how we did it. That's That's, how we did it.
0: There you go. That is awesome, Wondell. Wow. Incredible. So yeah, please go ahead. So you were talking about the young lady that you you had worked with as well.
2: You know, unfortunately, she had some heart issues. So she had to stop. But she's doing well. She went on to become, and she is, a very successful lawyer. Ah, mm, okay, Right on. Well, Um, with that, I started working with a few Russian players that started to take notice of my work. I worked with a few Swedish players. Uh, I started helping kids go to the US colleges. I sent a few to Harvard. I sent some to William & Mary, VCU, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, some of the Wright State, DePaul. I've sent them all over the place. And, you know my name started to to go out there i started working with players from latvia um i have a few on my plate of uh all americans that that i've worked with and this is all through just coaching and teaching them to enjoy the game
0: right right because i mean that's where it starts i mean you have to have you have to remember that there is that joy you know, mm-hmm. and, and making sure that you're tapping into that. So man, I, I I love I love that style and that and that 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 focus that you're giving them because that's the right way to approach it.
2: Oh, it is, it is. And trust me, I've been questioned about it too. I mean, the the young woman who I taught from Latvia, mm. uh, I went over and one time I taught her and I was coaching right beside Ernest Gulbis. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Ernest is right beside me. And I didn't know that they actually owned the tennis center. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Good old I Ernest and his family. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, they, they, uh, they're very well off. We'll just yeah. put it that way. Yes. Yeah. And um, so there, you know, the mother's watching me. And she's, oh, you know, she's saying in Russian, why is, why is he laughing so much? Why, you know, why is my daughter laughing? Why is she this? Why is she that? So they stopped my practice. And, and the daughter came to me and said, my mom doesn't want you uh, laughing so much. And I said, what does your mom do? She said, my mom does computer analysis. I said, well, I want you to translate this to your mother. Ask her, do I come to her job and disrupt her work? <laughs> well- <laughs> so she asked her, she asked her. And she said, no. And I said, ask your mother, does she know anything about the game of tennis? She asked her, and the mother said, no. I said, then allow me to do my job. There right. you
0: go. Right. That's where it is, right there. You got to let folks know. Stay in your lane.
2: Exactly. <laughs> the, the girl went on to play number one for her university. She got WAC uh, freshman player of the year. Wow. She got all-conference player of the year. And she was uh, first All-American.
0: Wow. Excellent. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's some outstanding results right there.
2: Bye. And that's all from just teaching them. You know, what I, what I try to do, my method of coaching is to teach them without them knowing they're being taught. Uh-huh. Because what I've learned throughout the years of even coaching junior players in Finland is if you go in and you bark a lot of orders at them, no kid wants to have orders barked at them. So if you bark orders at them, you know, do this, do that, or I'm going to make you run, do this, do that, or you're going to do suicide sprints. What's that going to do to a player? It's going to start to really upset them. Right. So what I would do is I would give them initiatives. You know, at that time, you know, I was very fit. So I said, listen, you hit nine out of 10 balls in this shot, and your coach would do, do 50 push-ups. Oh, coach, you can't do 50 push-ups. I don't know. Try me. So they would <laughs> hit the shots. You hit this many shots here and there. I'll do this, or I'll buy you lunch, or we'll do this. I gave them something to work towards. You know, They didn't yep. always achieve it. Or so I'd say, listen, if you can't make it, you buy me lunch. Oh, OK, come on, coach. You know I can hit this shot. But when there's pressure, yep. <laughs> you know, I added that pressure. And you're like, oh, my gosh, the pressure. And I said, listen, if I'm giving you pressure right now, think about 10,000 people watching you. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And they said, wow, I never thought like that. So I'd always try to think outside the box and really get them to look at things from a different perspective. And when they did that, it really helped them. It helped them a lot. Absolutely. So Wendell,
1: how, so how many years would you say you were coaching over there at, based out of Europe?
2: Uh, over 10 years.
1: Over 10 years. Okay.
0: Okay. And then when did you come back to the States?
2: I came back to the States in 2000, mid-2013.
0: Okay, what drove that? I mean, so you and your wife are there, you guys are, you know, you're coaching, things seem to be going pretty well. Where did that decision to come back to the States come from?
2: This is a great question and I'm gonna explain this to you right now. All one right. great thing about Europe is it's Europe. Uh-huh. And okay. for, me, for me as a black man, I said, listen, I get to do something that many Blacks don't get to do. You know, I'm gonna go over to Europe, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn another language, which to let you know, Finnish is one of the top difficult languages in the world to speak. My kids speak it fluently. Mm. Um, but with that being said, Finland, six months out of the year, is almost completely darkness. Ooh. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah.
2: And it can, get, uh, it can get as cold as minus 40.
0: Ooh. Yes, sir.
2: I don't know if I made it one year. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I did well because I was traveling a lot. Let's just put it that way. I I was traveling. I wasn't there a lot. But, you know, when I got back, I said, I can't take this darkness. And my wife said, you, you know, I'm from here. (laughs) So one of, my, one of my former college teammates and former doubles partner, he said, look, I'm starting an academy here in Miami, uh, Chow Tennis Academy. And he said, um, I'd like for you to come over and give it a try. So I looked at my wife. I said, listen, I have a job offer in Miami. Before I could even finish Miami, we can go. <laughs>
0: Oh man, that's hilarious. But yeah, I get it. <laughs> right, right. I
1: bet you Miami was a welcomed change. Exactly. Oh, but you man.
2: have to listen, you have to understand something. I played collegiate tennis in the heat. I hadn't been back in the heat for a long time. <laughs> right. And I got here in mid August. And I don't know about mid August in California. I don't remember. Well, you're actually having a heat wave right now.
0: Yes, so, exactly
2: picture it coming back here to one hundred one hundred one. 101. Well I said, man. <laughs> I'm sitting outside. I walked outside. If you remember that that part in Cool Runnings where they walked outside and, and and uh he walked out and the brothers were still inside looking at him. That's what I did. <laughs> that, that's what I did when I got back here. That that door opened and that heat came in. I said woo I <laughs> know <laughs> oh,
0: exactly. Uh uh-uh. uh Oh, man. That is you know, crazy. My wife
2: my wife was so happy. She said, sweetie, what are you doing? I said, I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I had I to know. get myself together. But, you know, it was, you know, uh, one of our main reasons, too, was uh, our boys didn't speak English well either. So we wanted to be able to let them come over, uh, learn about their culture here as well. And, uh and you know, perfect their English and just be able to do something different. Right. And, um, you know, so we came in 2013 and we, we've we been here uh, ever since. And um, yeah. And that's, so, that's, what, yeah, Wandel. so what was your role uh,
0: coming back to when you came to the States and you know, your boys got his, you know, this uh, academy, w- what was your role there?
2: Uh, he, 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 uh, he brought me over as the head, the head pro. I was the head pro. And, um, you know, I, I, I I did well, I did well. Uh, we did well as an academy. We actually taught out of a place called Tamiami where, uh, Mary Jo Fernandez started her tennis. Mm, Okay. So she actually came in and frequented a few times and would uh, speak to us and and tell us the stories of her playing on the court. So it was really nice for the kids to be able to see a hometown uh, former, you know, top 10 player come in and, and speak with the kids and say, listen, this is where I played. And, uh, you know, it was nice. It was nice.
1: Yeah, that, that, that was nice. Um, so you get back in 2013 and you're with the Academy. How many years did you work there?
2: Uh, I worked there until 2016, and we decided to merge with uh, a gentleman by the name of Robert Gomez at the Biltmore and Salvador Park in Coral Gables, where they used to hold the original Orange Bowl. Oh, okay.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah.
2: So we went there, and, uh, you know, we continued to teach there. Uh, until 2017, where I unfortunately suffered a, a massive stroke. Mm. Oh man! So wow. that that took that took uh, it took everything out of me. Um, at that time, I was paralyzed from the right side of my body. I had my whole right side was paralyzed. I had lost the ability to speak, and uh, it was devastating. It was devastating.
1: Oh, my goodness. Now, I mean, clearly you're recovered, you know, now, as we're talking to you now, but how, I mean, talk to us about that process. I mean, how long was that that you were, you know, paralyzed and just, I mean, going from being someone who's very physically active to, to that state um, I can only imagine how difficult that was.
2: Yes. Uh, just to, to clarify, I'm still recovering. Okay. Uh, gotcha. But it. I look back at times and I remind myself that uh, you could have been gone. And mm-hmm. when I suffered the stroke, mind you, you gentlemen don't know, but my wife, was a stroke nurse in Finland. Wow. So Damn. she she sensed what was going on and immediately I don't remember anything but she told me that she started uh just moving my my limbs uh she forced me she crushed up uh baby aspirin and forced me to drink a little um and she called 911 and they got there within 15 minutes. Mm. Um, from what I was told, if they hadn't gotten there and the work my wife performed on me, I would most likely be in a vegetated state. Oh, at the time. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. that took a lot out of me. But there's one thing uh, that I've learned as a man of God is that if I'm still here, God has a plan for me.
0: That's right. right. That's right.
2: And though I couldn't speak, you know, I, I continue to just think and think about things. I said, listen, you're still here. You're not the way you used to be. So I had to think about some things. And I had to learn, number one, to accept what may happen in the future, which is right. very difficult. And um, I was in a wheelchair for almost a year and a half. and. I could not speak for almost, yeah, one year.
1: Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And I started to have what is called uh, tremors. My kids started to see, and every day my kids would come in and they would say little things with me, you know, trying to teach me how to say things uh, and just getting me, you know, to, to. lifting my spirits they'd come in and do little skits and do funny faces and they just really lifted my spirits and one day i just i i started learning to text with my right with my left side so my wife would put the phone up to me and i texted to her put the uh television on youtube so i can just listen to old r&b and things like this i <laughs> know <laughs> that's right nice <laughs> And believe it or not, that was therapeutic for me. Ah, because yeah, in, my mind, yeah. in my mind, I started to try to sing in my mind the songs that we grew up to. Mm-hmm. And one day, I started to just mumble. My, my mouth started moving. And I kept going. And at that time, they didn't have an adult speech therapist in my area. So I went and I found a woman from the UK who did online therapy. And my wife started massaging my face and doing all the therapy that she showed. And eventually I started stuttering. I started getting a few words. I started learning how to say my ABCs again, uh, my one, two, threes. I, I still, you know, my memory's not the way it used to be, but I'm uh, I'd say I'm 95.9%, you know, there, you know. Mm -hmm. What I've gone through, I'm blessed to still be where I am.
1: uh, Yeah, and I'm telling you, listening to you right now speak, you would never never guess guess guess. that you had been through something so traumatic. At all. Uh, Power of God and the power of positive thinking and the power of music.
2: It is, it is. And it's the power of family. Mm as well. Yes. Because I couldn't, have, I couldn't have achieved any of this without my wife. My wife stopped everything. She dropped everything and stayed by my side. Because I was, I wouldn't say useless, but I felt at one point useless. Because I couldn't, you know, she had to bathe me. She had to move me. There was nothing I could literally do. Mm-hmm. I lost, you know, that, that mobility. But my kids, everyday daddy, you know, A, B, C, D, you know, saying it with me. Doing uh-huh. things with me and just daddy, you're going to be here. And uh, they they are my angels, they 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 saved me,
0: yeah. All of them, uh, Wandel, uh, brother, your, your story just resonates so so profoundly with me. I mean, my aunt actually had suffered a stroke, this was back in the day, and unfortunately, like you. She lost, she was paralyzed. She lost the ability to speak, but she didn't gain that back. And unfortunately, she had passed away due to the conditions of her stroke. It was years after, but, but yeah, she never regained the, the ability to, to speak or to, to move. So, like I said, brother, the fact that you are speaking to us today and right. that you are working through your recovery, that's God's blessings right there, right? I mean, I, He is, yeah, you, you are just, you're meant to do more things. You're meant to, to be with us on this podcast so that people are hearing this message and being inspired, brother. Just, just thank God for that, man. That's
2: incredible. Exactly. Exactly. I appreciate that. Thank you. And that's what I do uh, to this day. My wife said to me, she said, you know what? You talked about acceptance. Now it's time for you to do something else. What are you going to do? I said, well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give back. I'd like to be able to motivate those who feel like they want to give up. I want to be able to encourage these young kids out there with dreams of tennis uh, to to step up and not give up, which is where I'm going with this. I just met a gentleman by the name of Kenny Carroll. Uh, Kenny Carroll used to be one of the head men with Nike. Uh, Then he moved on to Adidas. And now he's a consultant for all the top uh, sport and shoe companies in China. And Kenny was introduced to me because Kenny did things through tennis with Serena. You know, he's 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 done a lot of things. But he said to me, I want to do something different where we can give back to minority kids. (laughs) You know, would you like to work with me? I said it would be my honor because. I do not, I won't hesitate to help a child fulfill their dream. You know, if they want to be on tour, you know, we, we want to make sure we can do that. So we're in the, the, the works right now of putting that together. Another gentleman I know, and I don't know if you saw on YouTube, uh, his name is Michael Weisenfeld. He put together, um, David Guetta did two live videos on YouTube Where it was all around the world. And he raised close to $2 million for the COVID to help minority families in need. So we just started what's also called the Talent Guys, where we are also in the midst of working with uh, athletes, young athletes from various sports who want to be able to fulfill their dreams yet they don't always have the monetary support to right. do so. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say that because uh, this is something, you know, the sport of tennis is something I hold so close to my heart because it's, it took me from the streets. It showed mm-hmm. me the world. It introduced me to my wife, my kids, You know, I was blessed to have my kids. Um, I've met my idol before he passed away, the late, great Arthur Ashe. Mm. I've I've achieved more things than I would have ever imagined. And, you know, being able to coach, and mind you, I just want to say this, my brain is still sharp. And oh, yeah. uh, We can tell. Oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> no, that's right. I, I've, had, I've had to put it together. My body is not the way it used to be, but mm-hmm. my mind is still sharp. And what I'm going with this is there are so many coaches like myself who are just looking for that opportunity. I got one opportunity, and I'm going to throw a shout-out quickly to Kaya Kanepi, who is mm-hmm. a former number top 15 player in the world. She allowed me to work with her at the Miami Open. And that for me was incredible. To be coaching in the big leagues for just that small amount of time was incredible. And we worked very well together. And what I'm saying is, there are plenty of coaches, black coaches out there who know the game. We just don't have the opportunities to work with these players and show them that, you know, hey, we can coach just as well as the big dogs that are, in, that are, that are uh, currently there.
1: And, and Waddell, I am
2: specifically interested in, in <laughs> that
1: particular thing, because one of the things we've talked about on this podcast is that, number one, you only see a handful of black coaches in at the highest levels anyway. Right. But when you do see them, they're typically always only with black players. Right. Uh, I mean, other than, I know we saw Kamal Murray for a hot second with <laughs> yeah, uh, Monica right. Puig, Pui. right. uh, but really outside of that, and now hearing your story with uh, Kai, Kai Neffy, Neffy. we aren't really aware of any other examples. And and does that really speak to um, that the other cultures don't see the value
2: in black coaches? Um like they should? You know, that's a great question. And uh I have sat down on numerous occasions with uh former black professionals uh from the tour, uh both ATP and WTA, and we've had this conversation. And I will say that it is very, very hard to to get in the door, to get your foot in the door. Mm. Um, It's not to disrespect anyone, but it is very hard. Why? Because I feel at times there's a small, minute group of coaches that, you know, players tend to just migrate to because, like I said, they don't know we're out here. They don't know that we're looking for that opportunity. And even when I've coached out there and I've been there, I could feel the stares and the comments of, what's he here for? I've had, right. it blatantly, I've had it blatantly said to my face, why am I here? I've been called the N-word in different Eastern European countries to my face. And mind you, had it been 20 years ago, it would have been a different situation. But I said, you know what? <laughs>
1: right.
2: <laughs> I'm going to kill them with kindness because a couple of times we won those titles. And when we won the titles, I said, you know what? You can't take me off the board now That's because right, they take right. a picture with us. So now... Um... I'm, permanent, I'm a permanent fixture on the wall. And now, since you want to call me that N-word, guess what? Every time you walk by and look up, that person you assumed was that N-word is still there. Right.
0: Yep, go see that face. That's right.
2: And with that big, cheesy smile right there, saying how you <laughs> like that? <today? laughs>
0: That is awesome. (laughs) That's how you do it. That's how you do it, man.
2: Yes, but to answer your question, there aren't very many uh, coaches of color out there. Um, I am really hoping in time that, uh, you know, some of these players start to hear about us and know, because for me personally, I don't want to coach someone immediately in the top 100. I want to coach someone who's outside and earn that place and not have them say, oh, well, you know, you got a person that was already in the top 100. You didn't have to coach them and do much. No, I want to show you that, you know what, I have the ability and then some to take a player outside the top 100 and get them in there and more.
0: Yeah, exactly. Hey, I. very much agree with you there because, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You mm-hmm. want to be able to say, yo, I got this person in there versus I just inherited it. Uh, because of course, then you get side eye all the time. <laughs> right. and, and, and yeah. So Wanda, I know that we've talked about, you know, the recovery process and I'm just kind of interested in, you know, how, what are, what's sort of like your, your short term goals here? What's, what's, uh, what's on the plate as far as, you know, when you planning to do once we get out this COVID situation come 2021 and beyond? What's, uh, you know, what, 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 what speaks to your heart right now?
2: What speaks to my heart is, of course, getting healthier. Yes. Um, I have a 15-year-old son who is a hell of a player, yeah. and he, ha- he takes precedence over anyone right now. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Because when I suffered the stroke, he had problems, you know, because daddy was always there. Yeah. And it, it was like a piece of him was just taken away and he had trouble playing. Now, my goal is to, in time, be able to help him to see how far he can go. Um, the rest is up in the air, you know, of course, working with the charities and making sure that we can get other players um, to also get these opportunities. That's what I want to continue with as well. Um, If I receive an opportunity to coach on the tour, then, you know, if that if that is uh, passed on to me, then, you know, I may or may not take it. We'll see. Mm -hmm. But for right now, it's making sure that I am personally healthy, um, that my son is in a better position with his game and he's back to the way he used to be, because not because he's my son but he can play. Right. He can play. Right. And he has the ability. And interestingly, he did something that he did, he wasn't even aware of until I told him. I said, "You're the first black player to represent Finland ever in the Orange Bowl."
0: Oh, okay. Nice.
2: Because he played for Finland. And uh, you know, that's my that's my short-term goals is my health, my family, and making sure that we are in a better place for ourselves. Um, the long term goals, you know, is to make sure that I can help other uh, ethnic kids, brown, black, whatever, white, you know, if they can't afford to do something, we wanna help them fulfill their dreams. But um, most of all, it com- my family comes first.
1: Well, I tell you what, we, you know, when we do shows, you know, they typically fall in different categories, right? They can be historical, they can be informative, they can be even uh, from an entertainment standpoint. And and this episode has been one that I would easily categorize as inspirational because there's no way that anyone can listen to your story and and not hear the stories of faith, family, uh, and, you know... Internal strength, um, motivation—just uh, it's 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 inspirational here. And we thank you, Wondell, for coming on and sharing your story because these are not the stories that are be- being told in the broad media or right. through broad media channels Right. uh but this is something that Brothers on Tennis we hope that we can make a difference in terms of bringing to um a, a bigger audience. So once again we absolutely thank you for being on today. I'd like to ask you, you know, is there are there any final words that you just kind of want to leave with our audience um today?
2: Yes, yes. Well, let me first say it it should be myself who's thanking you for for, you know, uh, given me the opportunity to speak. And for those of you that are out there listening, uh, thank you for allowing me, you know, to, t- to share my story and for you listening. Um, and, you know, I just want to say to any kid who's out there, and I want to make this very clear, there are no excuses of why you can and cannot be successful. We may have some delays, and they can be temporary, but you keep moving forward, you keep your head held high, and if one door is closed, you keep knocking on the next, and if that one closes, you keep knocking, and eventually, somebody's going to open the door and allow you that opportunity, and if you get that opportunity, I'm saying this from me to you, go with it, run with it, and make it happen.
0: That's right. That's right. I mean that. That's, that's the. That's some great words there, Wandel. That's it. Run. <laughs> right.
1: Run with it, it. exactly. Don't play. So well. Thank you again, Wandel, and and to our listeners, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And it is absolutely our desire to continue to bring uh, inspirational and successful stories like this in the future. So. We need to get out of here on this Sunday. But we thank you all for listening. And this has been your boy Bryce. And this is your boy Isaac. And we are Brothers on Tennis. Thank you for listening.